Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of Cindy's Political Corner, Headlines in the News. I am your host, Cindy Gross, and I am so excited about this show because every single day there are multiple headlines. We can't keep up with the news, but we have the experts here to discuss what is going on, what we can do as individual taxpayers, and Remember, these issues are nonpartisan issues that need bipartisan support. You've heard me say that many times in uh, discussing education issues, but it really overlaps into the topics we're talking about today. So welcome into my corner. And speaking of education, I have to tell you that I am getting a tremendous amount of contact via phone calls, text, emails regarding what is going on in Michigan and suing the parents in regards to a student's behavior and shooting that left four students dead. And people are asking me my take. I've done some media on this, and I'm going to share with you pieces of an article that was published on BizPack Review that I wrote. I am telling you right now, if you're going to charge parents, you have to charge school officials. School officials are mandated reporters, which means if they suspect, not prove, but suspect any kind of abuse or neglect, if they are involved with IEPs and guidance, they have to follow up reports accurately. School officials have to write up uh, reports that go through uh, school safety. And in many cases, like in the New York City Department of Education, a lot of this goes through departments of investigations and uh, even offices within the mayor's offices. And when I say that, I mean there are departments within the mayor's office. It's very serious There are huge paper trails. There are huge trails to the teachers' unions and to the supervisors' unions. And how do we know this? Because teachers fill out, if they're honest, forms that go directly through emails to the teachers' unions. But I'm going to tell you something. Many teachers don't report and many supervisors don't report. Many guidance counselors and social workers don't fulfill the obligations. Why? Because it looks bad on their records and they are encouraged not to because we know what happens if someone complains too much, they get fired, even if it's accurate. Whistleblowers are targeted for telling the truth, and that means telling the truth about troubled students and families with issues. I'm not talking about tattletaling. I'm talking about serious issues. I'll give you a great example. When I filed my lawsuit in 2011, one of the big complaints was that the staff was not working cohesively and as a team, filling out the documentation needed for Child Protective Services or ACS. How do I know this? Because I went and spoke to attorneys at ACS. One report from a school with a full history, should be completed. And that includes any witnesses from staff. All these students 
that you hear about, whether or not it was the Parkland shooting. And Andrew Pollack did a great job of discussing how his daughter's life was, uh, she was murdered, Meadow, by a troubled student, and how school safety and school staff knew all about the history of the the, uh, attacker. The same thing in Michigan. There are details about what was going on. School bullying is a violation that needs discipline. It's an issue that has to be addressed with emotional issues of both the attacker and the attackees. But schools don't report it. I reported a student using a toy gun in second grade threatening three students. And I even had the student statements. Parents came to school. Parents wrote to the Office of Investigations and to school security. And and an arbitrator paid by the teachers union and the New York City Department of Education called that toy gun a joke and made fun of me for pointing it out. That student came from a troubled home with sexual abuse accusations that were later found out in my hearing because he had an incident in first grade that was never reported. Now, I had him in second grade. And the first grade teacher had problems. And there were multiple first grade teachers that had problems. I'm speaking this from my heart off the cuff. The facts are there. I can share them with anyone. Another example, there was a student in my school who was excessively violent and who had many issues. The mother made a deal with the principal to protect her custodial issues. None of this was sent to ACS and Child Protective Services. In fact, the principal smacked on the the bottom the student. You know what the judge in the case did? He said, oh, you got a potula from the principal and punished me for reporting it. You see the pattern? Another instance, a girl. There were issues with her in first grade and second grade with multiple teachers, because most of these students get transferred from class to class. And they are in gym classes. They are in art classes. They are in music classes. So teachers see this, plus school aides. The student tried to commit suicide, wanted to run away, and did. And you know what happened? I got blamed for reporting it. All the teachers who knew about it were rewarded for keeping quiet. We must expose the truth. And we've got to call out the teachers' unions, the supervisors' unions, guidance. Our guidance counselor was so busy talking on the phone and doing her own things, she wasn't able to produce reports in the hearing. She couldn't produce notes. The assistant principal produced notes, and so did the principal produce testimony that they later tried to change because they knew my reporting was accurate. They were getting themselves in trouble, but it didn't matter. They both got rewarded. They both retired. They both received full pensions and benefits. And I got terminated for calling out the truth. So teachers are not going to help out. Teachers are part of the problem because they're afraid of the union. Principals are part of the problem because they're afraid of the union. 
And they're all tied to local elected officials because they are afraid that if they don't support them, their schools will not get benefits. Funny, because in my school, in my day, the people that were elected and working with the school, most of them either sat in jail or are in jail right now from embezzlement, for tampering with evidence, stealing money, uh, making up nonprofit organizations that did not exist. And you know who the only one who got punished for it and destroyed was? Me. But I'm not going to get destroyed because I have you, my listeners, on my side. But I need your help to get out the stories, to get to the media, to get to parents, and to call this out and to end this nonsense. School violence is the fault of lazy, arrogant staff that refuse to do what's right. And they're putting your neighborhoods, your children, your families at risk. Tell me what you think of my open. You can write to me at Cindy's Corners at gmail.com or reach me on social media. We are going to talk about another hot topic after the commercial, infrastructure and local governments. How are the suburbs being changed into urban areas and how some Republicans are now agreeing with AOC about her move not to help Amazon in her district? Welcome back to this very special episode of Cindy's Political Corner. So many headlines in the news. Uh, You know what's going on in Washington with the infrastructure bill and the fights daily of build back better. Is it really building back better? We don't even know. But but most of us don't realize that it really are local governments that decide build back better for you. You have the direct uh, roads and the direct water and, and traffic, everything infrastructure oriented, really guided by local governments. They are making the decisions. And this week on Long Island Newsday had an editorial about IDAs. And these are the most important people making the decisions about the environments you live in. And yet no one even knows what an IDA is. So joining us today is a, an attorney who is one of the founders of the Oceanside Civic Group, He ran for office uh, recently running on the idea of overdevelopment, and he's been published in many articles and has had many media appearances. Aaron Aton Meyer, Esquire, thank you for joining Cindy's Political Corner. Thank you so much for having me. Well, the last time you were on, I should say that the show got so much response uh, that even I got all from major media about it. So we're hoping the same thing will happen today because somehow, you know, when sub- suburbs were developed in the 50s and the 60s, it was supposed to be a landscape quite different than cities. Yet we are seeing developments daily throughout Long Island. Uh, particularly in areas that you ran in, Oceanside, the Five Towns, uh, Lynbrook, East Rockaway. There seems to be an abundance of what we're going to call overdevelopment. 
Tell us a little bit what the average person who knows nothing needs to know about overdevelopment. Well, it, it starts with you have to understand where we live and what's happening to it. And it sounds like a ridiculous statement, right? We know where we live, right? We live in the suburbs. We live on Long Island. We live in Nassau County or maybe Suffolk County, right? Single family homes. We have local stores. We have uh, walking distance. We have all of these things. Well, we do. And that's not all. The problem that we have is there are plots of land that are now worth more than ever before. And what has happened is there are pushes, just blind pushes, to build larger and larger structures. Now, the excuse is saying, oh, there's, there's a housing issue, there's this issue, there's that. But really what it comes down to is it is incredibly lucrative for developers to come in and put in a monstrosity in a complex that has nothing to do with the keeping of uh, the neighborhood that it's in and really no bearing on the local community. And what, what we're seeing is that's being aided and abetted by local governments and by these IDAs. And I'm going to explain in, in some detail what an IDA is, what it's supposed to be, and really how that's been co-opted against the interests of people that actually live here. So when you hear people just saying, well, you have a housing shortage, it's not that simple. Unfortunately, what we have is... Uh, in Nassau County itself, you have very disparate kinds of communities, and they don't necessarily even have the infrastructure to support these developments. In fact, in many cases, they do not. What you have are basically what amount to um, municipally permitted checklists, and as long as a development can can sign off superficially on them, it's greenlit. And why? Well, uh, there's a concept, and it's called... Um, cataclysmic money. And what that means is uh, absurd amounts of money that can be funneled into a project by developers that have no relationship to or interest in a community itself other than what can be exploited. So you have a parcel of land, let's say it's uh, three or four acres, and it's in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Well, right now it's zoned a certain way, and that's supposed to protect the neighborhood. But suddenly, let's say you have a developer that comes in and says, well, I can actually build a uh, 300 uh, apartment. I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. A 300 apartment complex, and that's going to solve everyone's problems. And the only catch is I need uh, financial assistance to build it. And what that means is the profit margin needs to be expanded further. So as you're saying that, I should tell people that there was some research done on this. And that if you think you're not involved in it, taxpayers individually are paying upwards of $50 million to make these monster projects that seem to be the same um, developers. It's not just, you know, one developer um, or two developers. It's, it's like a group of a few that are taking it all. It's not, you know, everybody's allowed to do this. And it seems to have people with ties to the local governments directly, because a lot of people within local governments have other businesses and they are connected to it in some way, shape or form. Did I describe that correctly? 
Yeah, uh, that's certainly correct. I would add that, you know, the other factor is, you know, it's not a, a partisan issue. You know, that, that's one of the pitfalls that people fall into is they say, well, the other party is, is behind this. Uh, except when you look carefully, mm, no, uh, you know, the, these are not uh, foolish developers who are going to put all of their money on one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, they're very canny. And, you know, this is what they do. So let's just very simply define what is an IDA in a couple of sentences. Okay. So <clears throat> an IDA stands for Industrial Development Agency. Okay. It was created in the, the end of the 60s. And this idea was you would have agencies that are supposed to promote certain kinds of development industrial, local economic development. And in order to do that, they are able to offer a wide range of tax breaks. The most notable is called a pilot, payment in lieu of taxes. And what does that mean? Well, these developers are making money hand over fist on them because what they mean is they pay a set amount to the IDA and in exchange, they're not paying the taxes that would ordinarily be paid on this property. And when you factor in the numbers involved, these are ridiculous tax breaks. The theory behind the IDA was that they were supposed to be independent and expected to act in the interests of a particular local government and its residents. Again, supposed to. What it's become is a way of, again, uh, basically padding profit margins, uh, irrespective of whether a local community really needs it. So one of our listeners uh, just wrote in, and this is their opinion. But if you could back it up with fact, it'd be great. IDAs are like slush funds used by our local elected officials to give away money and benefits to political donors and uh, do this beneath the radar. Again, this is the opinion of a listener. This is not anything to do with the station. But can you give us your views on this? And if you have any fact to back, back it up, it'd be great. Well, unfortunately, there's a, a plethora of factual information out there. Um, you know, we had a debacle involving the Green Acres Mall, which first got IDA tax breaks, and then they were rescinded, and then there's been a lot of litigation. And it actually included a nine-month investigation in 2019 by uh, State Senator um, Scoofis, uh, probably mispronouncing his name. And this is, a, again, a nine-month investigation coming out of, out of the state. And basically, the report said... There wasn't adequate outreach. Residents were not allowed to voice their concerns. These pilots should not have happened. And, and if you read the report, it's, it's damning. And this is only one of many. But again, right, we had that report. And has that changed anything? You know, I, I don't want to count, come across as overly cynical, but the answer is no. These are happening left and right. You know, right now you've got IDAs uh, basically giving away pilots. They're, it's happening in Oceanside, where I live. Um, it's happening in West Hempstead. It's happening in the Five Towns. So you're talking about predominantly Jewish neighborhoods. It's, it's happening in also religious Jewish neighborhoods. It is definitely happening in a lot of Jewish neighborhoods. And, you know, when we're talking about the Five Towns, you know, it, it's it's very important to bear in mind what that means. You know, I live in Oceanside. I have basically three options for kosher food if I need them, right? If I want to go, I can go to West Hempstead, I can go to Five Towns, and I can go to Long Beach. I could go 
to the five towns and get the best selection, right? You have the most kosher supermarkets, you have the most kosher restaurants. But let's say I don't have half an hour to 45 minutes to travel into the five towns already. That's a factor that's going to affect me. And so that, that brings us back to this infrastructure problem that we have. The five towns is already very problematic traffic wise. Okay. I was just going to bring that up. I mean, every single day, uh, I follow a lot on social media, the five towns, uh, media people. There are multiple accidents. People are complaining and I grew up here. I will tell you that what used to be a 10 minute drive is now a 45 minute drive. There are constant water breaks and they have to be fixed. School, you cannot travel school bus times. It is impossible. And I know people, and this is a word for small businesses, which is going to go to my next question. Small businesses are falling apart because people refuse to go down main streets anymore, which used to be the bread and butter of the community. They cannot survive with this going on. But added to that, you know, in 2020, I did run as a pro-Trump conservative uh, candidate for Congress and uh and republican and uh now people are asking me again if i want to run and the one thing i'm being asked about because the public wasn't notified but it happened we now have an amazon warehouse that is being built without discussions of traffic without destruct uh just you know even consensus of the local people and it is causing major disarray. And I'm hearing so many Republicans saying, you know, AOC was right. To have Republicans agree with AOC on something is kind of amazing. What are your thoughts on that? It's, it's part and parcel of the same problem. It really is. Because you have minimal requirements. And it's very easy to, to facially meet these requirements while avoiding them. So traffic studies, for example. A traffic study is supposed to be done on representative days. That doesn't happen. What do you find? You find traffic studies being done, you know, the day after New Year's or, you know, in a Jewish area done right around Yontif when nobody's going to be driving. You know, there are ways around all of this. But then they say, well, we did our study and the study showed there will be no effects. And again, it's it's form over substance. And that's not how this is supposed to be. That's really the problem. And that's why people are so upset that they're willing to uh, endorse the views of somebody that otherwise would would never, ever happen. So, um, you know, we talk a lot about this and a lot of people think that these IDAs are working to benefit lower housing in these high taxed neighborhoods. But a lot of these uh, buildings that are going up, I mean, I went to a couple of buildings because I was concerned in the neighborhood. These houses and projects are starting high six figures, a million dollars, and they're not supplying adequate parking lots so that people have to park on the streets. So what is the situation with solving this housing problem and being honest with the taxpayer? Well, I think I think you hit it with being honest with the taxpayer. Uh, You know, we don't have real openness. What we have are, um, you know, repetitions of, of old arguments. Oh, we have a housing problem. We need to build. Well, no, that, that's, that's not it. You don't want to exacerbate the infrastructure problems that a community already has by just throwing in a few more 
buildings that will loom over the landscape. That's not going to solve anything. You know, even if you have, let's say, two lanes of traffic in either direction, that doesn't mean you can just plop down a 50 or 60, uh, 60 foot high uh, structure and say, well, people are going to car share, which, by the way, if you look at the um, 2019 past transit oriented development and related districts for North Lawrence and Inwood, you actually have sections talking about how people will be encouraged to share cars and therefore the traffic burden will be less or they will use bicycles or any of this stuff. These are fallacies, just like we have what's called a transit oriented development. Great idea in theory. Okay, we're going to build these structures near train stations. It's going to allow people to live here, but work in the city. Okay, well, that's still out there. Did did anything happen in the last couple of years? Oh, that's right. There was a pandemic. And so right now, LIRR ridership during the week is is averaging maybe 57 percent of what it used to be. And And yet we're still. And I had to bring up another you said about the pandemic. I know people who refuse to take any public transportation because of the crime issue that's not even addressed in this and bringing all these new people into neighborhoods, what that is going to do to the crime issue. I'm sorry I cut you off, but I did not want to forget that because the pandemic and the crime in this situation are very much tied together. So continue on. They, they are. And and that's one of the, the other weird uh, I, I, ironies is too nice a term. So when we talk about this, this transit-oriented zoning, which, by the way, we're still seeing being used today. Uh, the town of Hempstead had a meeting yesterday um, to rubber stamp one of these uh, CAS zoning changes. And if you actually read the requirements, most of these developments don't actually meet them. They don't. Because one of the, quali- one of the qualifying <laughs> requirements is a blighted area which includes significant criminal activity. Okay, that's actually in the statute. And so, yeah, you get, you know, some proclamation saying, oh, it's blighted, which is used as a regular term. Oh, there's criminal activity. Now, okay, Nassau County is still the the safest county in New York State. Um, And if you're talking about significant criminal activity, you're, you're not finding it here, not now. And yet we have all of these complexes going up where that's supposedly a requirement. It's not, again, we have form over substance. A statement, a proclamation is being accepted instead of factual analysis. So in January, we are going to have a new county executive in Nassau County who is a former count. Well, he's probably still the current one until he is uh, sworn in. What do you say to people who voted in Bruce Blakeman and even those that didn't about how they should approach going to the county offices with their concerns? Well, they have to understand there are different levels that are going to be involved. There's the county level, there's the town level, and then if applicable, there's their village level. They have an incorporated village. And you can't take your eye off anyone. And that's really the problem. Because each of those has a role to play, right? The county can approve certain kinds of development. And in fact, when you're talking about this CAS zoning, one of the requirements for CAS zoning is the proposed development has to be located along a county or state roadway. So the county has a role to play in this. 
the town has a role to play in this because generally the town is the one that can make the zoning changes that the developments rely on. Similarly, the IDAs, because we have many of them, maybe they're going to Nassau County IDA. In Oceanside, that's what happened. Maybe they're going to the town of Hempstead's IDA, which is also happening now for other developments. So you need to be able to understand who's playing what role and not allow each level to pass the book on to the other. So that that was something very popular in the election because I was getting a lot of calls. I happen to know Laura Curran and I know Bruce Blakeman and I know them both many years. And in all fairness to both of them, I think both of them are quality people. And uh, as a Jewish Republican, I am proud that we are going to have history made here. But I will say that uh, I remember people asking me questions about the infrastructure and they would say, oh, it's Laura Curran's fault because she's a Nassau County executive. And then she her offices would say, no, it's your villages and your towns because they're the ones directly tied to it. I'd have to just give the you know, the okay that it's allowed. I don't get the details. Where so who can people or where should people get the information to find out who's in charge? Well, that's and that that's that in and of itself is part of this huge problem, because you never know what you need to do is if you're a resident, you you somehow need to be completely on top of everything that's going on in your village, everything that's going on in the town and everything that's going on in the county. And it's designed that way so that people can't effectively respond to these things. Okay, when the Pearsall development um, you know, they had the meeting, the Cedarhurst meeting in, in August. Um, and I was there. Uh, fun fact, if you read the Herald article and you look at the picture that's there. You're talking about the well, NASA Herald. Yes. Uh, yeah. You will see my face right front and center. I don't think they realized that that's a separate issue. Uh, and what happened was I think they were surprised because generally speaking, one of two things happens. Either nobody shows up, in which case you get a, uh, a canned speech saying, well, it's in the interest of the community and nobody came and spoke and therefore we're going to do it. Or people do show up, they voice their concerns and everything is tabled. And then it comes back. I don't want to say in the dead of night, but it comes back very, very surreptitiously. Maybe the notice is uh, sent out on a Friday right before the meeting and people don't don't recognize it. Maybe the meeting is scheduled for the day before a holiday. These are all things that happened just this past year. Uh, or maybe it's it's tabled until after an election. And the idea is they wait until local residents have taken their eye off the ball. Maybe something else came up. Maybe there's a, a national issue that's that's captured attention. And then what do you get? You get that vote saying, well, you know, there was initial opposition, but clearly it's been uh, you know, overcome. It's not accurate. It's not true, but it happens. There was so much to discuss on this. I'm going to go to a lighter area on this that people don't recognize. During Hanukkah in one of the social media groups, it was very funny. Uh, one of the food groups, in fact, said Brooklyn has arrived in the five towns because they were talking <laughs> about donuts. But. In essence, that's what this infrastructure picture looks like. People don't realize that Nassau County taxes are not Brooklyn and Queens taxes. There were different benefits on Long Island, one of them being land and other things, you know, 
I know the school systems were always better, different, and uh, library services were different, and there were other things that were different. And this is changing the quote-unquote landscape of what a suburb should look like. What do you say to people about that? Because I am hearing this on people, even people that want uh, housing and developments in the neighborhoods, but not the ones that they're talking about. And and that's the thing. People have to, people are not, and I, I, I don't want to sound condescending because when I say people are not educated enough, that, that's a failure on the part of all of us who should be doing that educating. But the answer is, you know, wishful thinking is not a substitute for, for understanding what's going on. I understand, you know, let's say you lived in Brooklyn and you move out here and you say, you know, I, I miss having uh, a supermarket that I could walk to all the time. Wouldn't it be great if I had a building with my doorman and I can walk out from there to the supermarket? That's, that's the mentality that they're capitalizing on. They're saying, oh, you can have that here. Move into one of these complexes. We will have almost everything you need. And people think, well, that's, that's great. I'm getting the benefit of everything that I, that I had and everything that I wanted. The reality is different. Because even if you have a supermarket within walking distance here on the island, you're not doing that. Okay, I've lived in Manhattan. I've lived in Brooklyn Heights. I've, I've done the whole walking to the supermarket. You can't do that here. You're not going to do that here. You're going to drive your car to the supermarket and back. That's what actually happens. So what they're doing is they're, they're taking advantage of the fact that people understandably are looking for the best of both worlds. And they think they can have it because, again, you're operating on the basis of perception, not reality. So you think, well, I can live in my building and I can walk to the store that's three blocks away. Okay, yeah, in theory, you could. You won't. I have to ask you, you know, you talk about that. We've been talking so much about traffic. We didn't even discuss the ability to handle sewage. And that's a huge part of the infrastructure problem. You mentioned earlier um, how you have, uh, you know, mains breaking and, and water, um, you know, coming out all the time already. You know, our sewer system was not designed for nearly as much um, as, as it's as, as already being placed on it. And, uh, <clears throat> and unfortunately, when you see the plans for these developments, what they do is they say, well, we can we can hook up to the sewer line. Maybe we expand this pipe or something, and it's it's fine. Except again, the system was never supposed to be dealing with this kind of level to begin with. And when you factor in some of the other issues that we're facing, uh, storm preparedness, um, you know, ecological changes that have uh, affected our shorelines, other projects like the out the uh, offshore wind turbines that are going to be coming soon. What you have is um, a system that's already overburdened that was never designed to deal with any of this. And what we're getting is the equivalent of a, a snapshot of a close up of a corner of a map. Right. So we're not seeing the whole sewage system. In fact, I'm not sure that there is a master map of the town of Hempstead sewage system. And I know several years ago when I was trying to get a hold of one for some uh, storm related issues, uh, the impression that I received was there was none, at least not for Oceanside, which is horrifying. Um, and instead, what do we have? 
well, we, we're told, well, they, they looked at it and the system can handle whatever it is. So I have to tell you, another listener just wrote in and they said, uh, I recently had a family emergency and we called Hatsala to take us to the hospital. And we almost lost the family member. I'm not going to get into who, because the traffic was impossible. And even if people were trying to be kind enough, they couldn't move. And if this had gone on a couple of minutes more, we would have lost the patient. That is a huge, huge issue. And that, and that by itself should be petrifying everybody, to be honest with you. Think about, and let's use the five towns as, as the best example of that. Because what do you have? Where are the hospitals? How do you get to the hospitals? You've got, what, Cedar Avenue. You've got Broadway, maybe West Broadway if you're up that way. And that's pretty much it. If you're going to South Nassau, where I am in Oceanside, well, basically, you're, you're going to have to take uh, Atlantic Avenue all the way east. Good luck with that. That's going to take you a nice, uh, a nice amount of time. Or you're going to detour all the way up Peninsula Boulevard. None of these are good out, are good options. So you need the, the ambulance has to reach you first. And, and then it's got to get to the hospital. You, you know, and when we're talking when minutes, seconds are, are valuable or critical, you know, and now we're going to plunk something down on the, the intersection of, of Pearsall and Rockaway Turnpike, which is another major road going um, on Rockaway Turnpike would be going in the, the other direction. Uh, you know, this should be extremely, extremely worrying to anybody who has an older relative, a younger relative, a health concern, um, or has read, you know, automobile crash statistics and realizes that if you get into a car crash, you also might need uh, an ambulance. You know, the, the roads are not there. Well, you say that uh, we recently had a major tragedy of somebody getting hit by a car coming out of shul. And it's not the first time this has happened, but it's going to happen more and more with more of the cars, even with the lights, uh, the red light uh, issue. It's still happening and people are speeding and there are more drivers. Homes now have more people in them with drivers. It's just a fact. Uh, years ago, there was maybe one or two cars per family. You know, now it's way more. Even people on, you know, People living in the apartments above the stores, they all have multiple cars. They just can't find places where to park. And that that underscores part of these these problems that are being ignored. You know, this this, well, people aren't gonna drive their cars or they're gonna share cars, they're gonna ride bikes. Come on, that's not what's happening. You know, we're living in in a world where we get we get fantasy being thrown at us and we're supposed to accept it. The facts belie that. Aaron, you're going to come back because we're running out of time. Where can people reach out to you? Uh, I should say that this is going to be the first of several segments. There's a group putting together. They're going to be sponsoring these events so that uh, and notifications so that people get involved, both pro and against, because there are some people that do believe we should have some development, just not this kind of what's going on. And there used to be a time in politics when there are compromises and things made that everybody is kind of happy. So where can they reach you? Well, it's, it's fairly easy to reach me. Uh, you know, my, my Twitter account is mostly foreign issues. Uh, I am on Facebook. I did keep um, my former campaign page now says 
uh, Aaron Eitan Meyer, uh, advocate for Oceanside, uh, because Oceanside is facing a lot of these issues with a, a planned month, another planned monstrosity on uh, Atlantic Avenue by Terrell Avenue. Um, that's one easy way of reaching me. Um, I, I don't know. I think if you Google me, you'll probably find uh, me pretty quickly. But <clears throat> I, I would say that for people that, that care about these issues, it's critical that they look right now, that they don't just look out and, and want to speak to me. It's great for my ego. They need to speak to each other. They need to reach out to their local elected officials. If they live near one of these proposed monstrosities, they need to talk to a lawyer now. Because once, once the paperwork is in, it is almost impossible to get it overturned. I went to the Nassau County IDA with a list of outright false information that it had been provided with and begged it to reconsider the monstrosity over here in Oceanside, and I was brushed off. So if you live near one of these things, by all means, reach out to me. I will be happy to do what I can. I know a lot of people uh, across Long Island that are fighting this, but you, you need to do more. Um, you need and, and you, you cannot wait that that <laughs> that's really the most important thing I could tell people. Well, I know in the five towns, there's some um, meetings coming up. There's some meetings in the IDA that are directly tied to five towns. So, uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining this critical episode. Timely headline Cindy's political corner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Selling a home can be expensive and stressful. Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. Just ask Joseph M. from Brooklyn. Remax IQ made it easy. No for sale sign. I had offers in days. I saved $10,000 in commission and I was in contract fast. If you're thinking of selling, Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. To learn more, call 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. We're not a discount broker. We're Remax IQ. Speak with a top agent today. 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. Or visit RemaxIQ.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit www.remaxiq.com slash disclaimer. Welcome back to this very special episode of Cindy's Political Corner. Our next guest is no stranger to any of you and really can discuss every single headline in the news. And his latest book, The Case for Vaccine Mandates, uh, really is making a lot of news this week, especially with, with what's going on in New York City and uh, Mayor de Blasio's new mandates. Welcome to our show Professor Alan Dershowitz. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, I don't even know where to begin because, like I said, you are the expert on every topic in the news. So tell us what you think about what is going on in New York City. And is this going to be able to uh, go through the courts and, and become, you know, the way of New York and, and a trend for the country? Well, I just finished writing the book about the subject, The Case for Vaccine Mandates, where I analyze the difficult and complex constitutional issues. And I think the courts will follow the science. If it turns out that the a COVID virus with its variations and the new 
variations that we know from South Africa are extremely contagious and, and dangerous, and certainly dangerous for old people, then I think the Supreme Court will uphold mandates with exceptions, exceptions for medical reasons, possibly exceptions for religious reasons. But in general, people will be required to be masked, to keep social distances, and to have a vaccine as a condition for uh, doing certain things that hasn't yet reach travel. You can still get on an airplane with a mask, but without a vaccine uh, certificate. But that may change as well. In some countries, that's already been changed. So I think we're seeing a trend toward uh, vaccine mandates if the COVID virus uh, gets worse and spreads even more. And do you think that this is uh, going to go, I guess, national the way it is? Because people are fighting it. There are already lawsuits going on today in New York City. Well, they're all over the country, lawsuits, and some courts have already struck it, uh, struck down um, the Biden mandate because it wasn't legislative. In my book, I say that if you're going to have a mandate requiring people to be vaccinated, it better be done by the legislature, not by the executive. Under our system of government, the executive enforces the law. It doesn't make the law. And so the legislature should enforce, should make the law. And a number of circuit courts have already said that the Biden mandate is not constitutional because it was not authorized by Congress. The other side says, yes, it was under OSHA. There's a debate about it. The courts will ultimately resolve it. So, so many of our listeners uh, were so excited when I said you were coming on. And even though we see you all the time on Newsmax and Fox, and of course, we listen to the Dersh podcast on Apple Podcasts, we really want to uh, talk about some of the other headlines that uh, sure. you are probably, you know, you know all about. First of all, we want to ask you about what's going on in Michigan. Can uh, the parents uh, actually be charged and go through a trial and uh, be found guilty? And the second question I got on that is, should schools be responsible considering teachers, guidance counselors, supervisors are all mandated reporters? Mm -hmm. So my same answer to the question that I gave to the mandates, if you want to make parents responsible, pass a law, pass a statute. If you want to make schools responsible, pass a statute. But you can't have prosecutors making that decision. Prosecutors can't say, look, we don't like these parents. You know, I don't like these parents. I wish they hadn't bought a gun and made it so easily available to this kid who could then kill so many innocent people. But there's no crime at this point. It's not a crime to buy a gun. It's not a crime not to put the gun in a safe vault. It should be, but it's not. So until we get legislation, I don't think parents or the school should be held criminally responsible for the acts of their children. Remember, too, that although he's 15 years old, he's being charged as an adult. And so the Michigan prosecutor is trying to have it both ways. He's an adult for purposes of going to jail for a long, long period of time, but he's a child for purposes of the parents going to jail for a long, long period of time. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that. Another topic in the news, of course, is what's going on uh, with Roe versus Wade. And of course, uh, with, as we're talking, headlines are that the attorney general made a statement that he's suing Texas. Yeah. Uh, in regard to voter fraud. So we actually have two things going on. Uh, tell us what you think is going to happen with both of those cases, Roe versus Wade first. Well, I don't think anybody can tell. It will all depend on whether or not Chief Justice John Roberts, who I remember is a great student at Harvard Law School. He's a wonderful man, a very nice man. 
I don't agree with him politically on a lot of things, but I respect him. Whether or not he can get one more conservative to go along with him, uh, either Justice Kavanaugh or uh, Justice Barrett. Um, and if he can, then what will happen is the court will uphold the uh, Mississippi statute, turning back Roe from 23 weeks to 15 weeks, but it will not overrule Roe, at least not for the moment. If he can't get another conservative justice, then it will be five to four, probably, in favor of overruling Roe versus Wade. In the end, that will hurt the Republican Party tremendously because it will turn abortion into an electoral issue. And 60 some odd percent of Americans favor a woman's right to choose at least for a good period of time. And so it will be devastating to the Republican Party and it will serve them right for making abortion into this issue. So I think it's going to turn from a judicial issue into a political issue that will help the Democrats and hurt the Republicans. And the second case I asked you that was about what's going on in Texas with voter integrity and the uh, De- Department of Justice suing the state. Do you think that's going to be good or bad? Or, I mean, is this going to go all the way also and change voter uh, laws? Well, I think that we've had fights over gerrymandering since the beginning of American history. The very word gerrymandering comes from Eldridge Jerry, who was one of the founders of the United States. That's how far back this issue goes. And it always goes to the courts and the courts always make decisions. And uh, generally they decide that gerrymandering is okay, except if it has an impact uh, on protected classes, uh, racially, gender, anything else. And so This one is alleged to have an impact on racial equality, so we'll probably get to the courts. But again, nobody can predict the outcome. So you've been very um, much in the spotlight. You, of course, defended President Trump, but you also know President President Biden, and you you said you've supported him on many uh, issues and you voted for him. What do you think is going to happen in regards to your thoughts with 2022? And do you think Trump should run, uh, run again in 2024? Well, I think President Trump probably will run if he thinks he can win. And uh, he can certainly get the nomination. And it will depend on who the Democrats put up. And, uh, you know, I've, I've known Joe Biden since 1980. I've known every president virtually since um, since um, probably John Kennedy. Um, and I've been you know, close to some of them, closer than to others. And um, I voted for Joe Biden. I voted for Hillary Clinton. I'm a liberal Democrat. I don't love everything that uh, Joe Biden uh, has done. Um, I wish he could be a little um, uh, tougher on a few issues. But um, I do think that He's helped to normalize the country, to make it a little less divided. I wish that he would even do more and make it less divided, because a divided America is a weak America. Do you think he's going to run again? I mean, he said he's planning on it. Yeah, well, of course he's planning on it. In order to be a strong president, you have to say you're going to run again. Um, you know, he's going to be he's he's going to be my age. I'm now 83 years old. Um, uh, should an 83 year old be president? I know. So is he. So uh, I think maybe he will run. Um, You know, Ronald Reagan was old when he ran. Uh, In other parts of the world, um, people are even older when they serve in high positions. Um, So uh, I don't think we know. Um, But it'll be interesting. It could be a rematch um, of the election of 2020. 
but it could be either two new candidates or one new candidate. Nobody, nobody knows. Any last uh, thoughts you want to share with our audience? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to share a, a, a view. Don't watch CNN. Don't believe anything you hear on CNN. Their decision to fire Chris Cuomo and to not do anything about uh, Don Lemon is so hypocritical. Don Lemon goes on the air the other night and does a whole full report about his best friend in the world, Smollett, without telling anybody he's his best friend, without telling anybody that he gave him legal advice. And Chris Cuomo gets fired for being a brother. Uh, has anybody been misled by Cuomo? Everybody knew that Cuomo wasn't uh, objective. He's about as objective as Bobby Kennedy was in relation to John Kennedy. You don't expect brothers to be objective. If the CNN didn't want him to report, they should have suspended him. That was the job of Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN. So if anybody should be fired, it should be Jeff Zucker and not uh, not Chris Cuomo. Well, it's funny you say that because everybody is talking about CNN right now that even the new, you know, the new owner is saying he's not happy with CNN and he's he watches Fox, which you're on constantly. Well, I'll tell you, though, that uh, Jeff Zucker has been an absolute disaster. Uh, what he did to me, um, uh, he doctored a tape. Uh, I was on the Senate floor arguing in behalf of President Trump. And I said he could be impeached. He could be impeached if he committed anything unlawful, illegal or corrupt. They simply eliminated those three words. They doctored the tape and they had me saying a president can do things that are corrupt and illegal. And uh, then they had their commentators say that. Uh, so I'm suing them, of course, for for uh, defamation. Uh, so do not believe anything you see on, on CNN. Zucker has destroyed it as a network and he's helped to destroy the American media as uh, essentially the fourth branch of government. It's been it's been a terrible terrible impact on American life, CNN. And, you know, the media is now as divided as the country is. And that's not a good thing. Oh, for the days of Walter Cronkite, when you could turn on television, watch him and believe him. Nobody today can believe what they see on CNN. Well, uh, since I don't watch it, really, I, I don't. I, I once got a phone call from them asking if I would go on as a Trump supporter and tell everybody not to vote for Trump. And that was years ago. And I said, why would I do that? I'm a Trump supporter. <laughs> so I knew after that phone call, really, I very rarely put it on because yeah, I just... Right. Well, you and many other people today, it's not being watched very widely, but it still has a lot of influence and it shouldn't because it's not trustworthy. Look, there are some good people. Wolf Blitzer is very good. He's very honest. He's as close as CNN comes to having somebody like Walter Cronkite. Maybe maybe Jake Tapper. There are a few other people who are okay, but there are some others who are just, just they're not journalists. They're just not journalists. They're just advocates uh, as, and disguised as journalists. And that's totally deceptive. And so CNN has deceived a lot of people, but least of all with uh, Chris Cuomo. Well, it's certainly changed on the days of the Iran war and Bernard Shaw when we were glued to it. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any well, I appreciate you. I was going to say, any last thoughts? I mean, it's the end of the year. We just celebrated Hanukkah. Anti-Semitism around the world is. Yeah. You know, well, anti-Semitism. Well, I can tell you uh, part of the problem is um, uh, some Jewish organizations. Temple Emanuel, the most influential reform synagogue probably in the world, just banned me. You won't allow me to speak. Um, they invited and paid a lot of money to uh, Peter Beinhardt, who, who supports the end of Israel 
as the nation state of the Jewish people. He's welcome in Temple Emanuel, but I'm not. They have canceled me, and it's a disgrace. And the 92nd Street Y has canceled me. It's a disgrace. High schools, a couple of Jewish high schools in New York, at least one, has canceled me. So when you talk about the problem of anti-Semitism, we ought to look in the mirror. And there are Jewish organizations, the 92nd Street Y, Temple Emanuel, and others that are in large part responsible for the spread of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism because they silence the voices of powerful pro-Israel speakers like me. Well, you're always welcome here to speak, and I'm on Talkline Network, so Zeb Brenner, I'm sure, will have you as well as all of his Sure, I love Zeb. He's terrific. Yeah, great. So uh, anybody on his uh, network, I'm sure, would love to have you, and we'd love to have you back anytime. Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much. The book is The Case for Vaccine Mandates. The podcast is The Dersh. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. I am your host, Cindy Gross. And just like that, the hour flew by. I promised you great guest, great conversation, and lots of information to think about. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please let me know what you think. You can reach out to me through my website, Cindy's Corners, and email me through there. Or you can reach me and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Never miss an episode. Download it on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Podbean, Jewish Podcast, and you can also listen to us through the Talk Line Radio Networks.